Welcome to Grace. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them at this point in time and uh, turn with me to the book of Exodus. We are in the midst of our sermon series entitled Exodus, The God Who Saves, and uh, we're making our way into part four of that sermon series this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus. We're going to begin in chapter seven. So Exodus chapter seven is where we're going to get started, and we're going to cover quite a bit of ground. So Exodus chapter seven, chapter eight, chapter nine, and on into chapter 10. Uh, We're going to go at a lightning quick pace this morning as we cover uh, the first nine of the ten plagues that God sends on Egypt. Uh, Of course, that scene that we just saw was of the first nine plagues, and that was from the History Channel's The Bible series, which is uh, the subject of our sermon this morning in uh, part four, entitled Nine Plagues and Nine Principles. Nine plagues and nine principles. So uh, I hope that you are there in Exodus chapter 7. Let's pray, and then we'll get right into it. So let's pray together, church. Father, would you be with the preaching and the reading and the hearing and the doing of your word? Father, in particular, as we come to this section of the Exodus where you demonstrate your great power, you demonstrate your great uh, superiority, you demonstrate your exclusivity, that you alone are God. You demonstrate your sovereignty that no one, not even the most powerful king in the world, can stand against your will and your plans and your purposes. Father, we uh, are humbled uh, by this story that you go to such great lengths to bring out your people from slavery. You went to great lengths to, to bring out your Old Testament people from slavery, and you went to even greater lengths to bring out your church from bondage, not physical bondage, but bondage into, from sin and, and bondage into, into death and bondage into, into the slavery of, of, of Satan and self and the world. And you have powerfully set us free and demonstrated the reality that you alone are God and that you alone are worthy to be worshipped, to be followed, and to be obeyed. Father, we pray that you would be honored by this sermon, that we would learn the things that you would want us to learn from these nine plagues, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, and God's people said, amen. I want to begin this morning with a a, a story of my high school baseball playing career. Uh, It was a relatively short career, and it wasn't short because I didn't play four years, it was short because I sat the bench. And so I didn't get in very much, but I enjoyed being on the baseball team. I was the backup center fielder, and uh, I played a, a mean uh, pinch runner, you know what I mean? Like when somebody who's uh, not as fast gets on base, that was my job. I, uh, Trey, you go run, because I was relatively fast. So that was my, my baseball career, uh, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I remember my high school coach, one of the things that he would often say to us when he was trying to prepare us for the game, just about before every game, he would say something like this. He would say, kids, guys, men, this is a nine-inning game. Now, of course, high school baseball is only seven, but, you know, the real guys, they play nine. So he would say, men, it's a, it's a nine-inning game. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to win the first three innings. We're going to take inning number one and number two and number three. And then next, we're going we're to take the, the next three innings. We're going we're to take innings number four, five, and six. And then after that, you know what we're going to do, men? And we knew what he was going to say. We're going to take innings number seven, eight, and nine. And what's going to happen at the end of the game? And we would all say, victory! And he would say, that's right. We're going to win the game one inning at a time. And uh, I still remember that to this day. 
And as we move into Exodus chapter 7, we move into the section in the book of Exodus, which is the beginning of what is known as the ten plagues. And we're going to just look at the first nine plagues and then save plague number 10, the Passover, for next Sunday in preparation for our own Passover uh, Seder meal. But as I begin to think about this section, these nine plagues, I think God maybe took a, a similar approach to beating uh, the uh, Egyptian idols and uh, the king, the pharaoh, who, who did think of himself as a god. Uh, he took the same approach. He sent one plague, and he won. And he sent another plague, and he won. And he sent plague after plague, nine of them, just like there are nine innings in a baseball game. And he won each of those innings, if you will. He was demonstrating his superiority to the plethora of Egyptian gods, and he was demonstrating that he alone is the sovereign in this world, and that Pharaoh was not. Uh, I have given you a chart, and so I'd like for you to take that out and just look at it with me just for a moment. I really wanted to put this chart up on the screen, but there was just too much information. I I couldn't do it, so I made a chart for you to keep. I hope it's helpful for you. Uh, But the the, the plagues, the first nine plagues, uh, actually come in three groups of three, very much like a baseball game, right? Uh, Three groups of three. And when you read through, as we're going to do here in a a moment, when you read through the, the plague account, kind of all the way through, what you notice is that there are helpful similarities as well as differences uh, from plague to plague. And when you look at it as a whole, you find out some interesting things, some things that are uh, informative, some things that are uh, telling about what God wants us to learn from the plagues as a whole. So uh, what I want to do is just point out about six or seven things that stand out when you read through uh, the plagues as a whole. And then I'm going to ask two or three men to come and to read through this, this rather lengthy section uh, for us. But look at your, your chart. First of all, you'll notice uh, that there are ten plagues, of course. We're going to just look at nine this morning. But the first thing that stands out in that very next section uh, that begins with the word announced is this. While the first two plagues in each group, right, there are three plagues in each group, while the first two plagues in each group or round is announced to Pharaoh by Moses, the third one at the end of every section comes without a warning. So you'll notice that it's announced, it's announced, and then it's not. It's announced, it's announced, and then it's, and then it's not. And you see this pattern. And it's, it's, it's telling because I think it shows a couple things. First of all, it shows that God gave Pharaoh ample opportunity to repent. Ample opportunity to repent. And yet, at the end of each round, I think you can see the third plague as somewhat punitive. God is is punishing him for, for not repenting in those first two chances where he had the opportunity to do that. Uh, God, through Moses, said, this is what is coming if you don't change your mind. Secondly, in that next second uh, little uh, uh, row, if you will, you'll see another interesting thing. When you read through the, the plague accounts, you'll notice that the Egyptian magicians could only duplicate the first two plagues. Now, we talked about that last week. Maybe it was through demonic influence and they were legitimate miracles. Maybe somehow they were being deceptive and they were just kind of faking it, right? Uh, but regardless, what you find out is that Pharaoh's magicians could only duplicate the first two. And the, the next eight were not duplicated by them, which clearly indicates God's superiority. God is the only true God. Number three, if you move to the next row, you'll notice that Israel was exempt 
from the last seven plagues, but they were not exempt from the first three plagues. So Israel, the way that I read it, suffered the first three plagues alongside their Egyptian counterparts, while the last seven plagues, they were spared. And I think that's significant because it shows us that God is powerful and that he is able to distinguish his people from those who are not his people, and he's also able to save his people. Number four, if you keep going, in fact, maybe one of the the primary points, aside from allowing Israel to be set free from their bondage, maybe one of the primary points of the plagues was God demonstrating his superiority over the Egyptian gods. If you'll look at the next row, you'll notice that each plague, blood, frogs, gnats, flies, and we can go on and on, that each of the plagues was specific. It wasn't just a random plague that God decided to bring. What God was doing was that he was demonstrating that he, not all of these gods that you see uh, listed uh, there, is the true God. Because Egypt had upwards, according to one scholar, of 80 gods, 80 deities, and each, the, each of them had a specific role. They were supposed to, um, they were either in the form of a particular animal, like they looked like frogs or cattle, but many of them were supposed to do things. Uh, they were supposed to, for instance, guard the Nile River. They were supposed to provide uh, healing. They were supposed to protect the crops. They were supposed to be in control of the sky or the weather. They were supposed to provide light or give life. And what God is doing in these very specific plagues is he's saying, no, these gods don't do that. I alone can do these things. Moving on to the next little segment. One of the things that I didn't really realize until I went through it this week was that I think through about seven, seven plague accounts give a very specific reason why God is bringing that plague, or rather, why God is bringing the plagues in general. That is, in the midst of each plague, oftentimes you get these statements. This is what I am intending to do, God is saying, through seven of them. Just take a look at your chart there, and you'll get a real clear picture of God's intentions and purposes in sending the plagues. First of all, he says this, so that you will know that I am the Lord. He also says things like this, so that you will know there is no one like the Lord our God. At one point, even the Egyptian magicians say, this is the the finger of God. They admit this. At one point, the purpose statement is this, is that so that they will know I, I the Lord, am in this land. And you can go on and on. You'll hear these purpose statements as we read through the section. But God is clear. He wants both Israel and Pharaoh and the Egyptians to know, this is why I'm doing this. It's not ambiguous at all. Something that I find really interesting when you read through uh, the, the account of the plagues is that uh, at times Pharaoh allows them to go. He says, yes, okay, you may go. But then what does he always do? You remember your Bible? He always what? He changes his mind. He says, okay, you can go. Oh, just kidding, right? Okay, you can go. Oh, I'm going to change my mind. And this happens uh, pretty often. But what you find out is that there's somewhat of a pattern to it. So take a look at that second to last row. We see that he allows them to go and then changes their mind on plague number two. And then after plague number four. uh, And then after plague number seven. But once you get to plague number seven, look down. 
slave number seven, number eight, number nine, and number ten. Pharaoh changes his mind, and Pharaoh lets them go, and then he changes his mind. And that's telling. I think what it tells us is this. I think it tells us that the, the plagues themselves are becoming increasingly difficult. They're increasingly harsh. They're increasingly costly. And as the plagues get progressively worse, Pharaoh says, okay, okay, this is, this is difficult. I'm going to let you go. And then, of course, he changes his mind. Number seven. The last thing that stands out to me in every person who reads this account, it's hard to miss. But there are statements in every one of the plagues about Pharaoh and his hard heart. In some of them, Pharaoh hardens his own heart towards God. And in in some of them, it says that God actually hardens his heart. But notice, notice the pattern here. Notice plague number one, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Plague number two, he hardens his heart. Plague number three, four, and on through plague number five, the first five plagues, it says that Pharaoh actually hardened his own heart. And only on plague number six does it say that God hardened his heart. Then number seven, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But look at uh, plague number eight, plague number nine, and plague number ten. At the tail end of the plagues, the Bible says that Pharaoh, that God hardened his heart. I think this is a really significant thing to observe, and here's why. Only after Pharaoh's willful and repeated disobedience, only after his willful and repeated refusal to let God's people go, did God strengthen that prior decision in judgment over him. And that, I think, is very helpful as we try to figure out what's going on with Pharaoh. So those are some observations that we can see when we look at the plague accounts overall. And as I said before, the the section itself is actually pretty lengthy. So here's what we're going to do. I've asked three men uh, in the church to come, and they're going to read these three sections to us so that we can hear uh, the Word of God in three sections, the first three, then the next three, and then the final three. We're going to listen to the the Word of God being read and just soak in the account of the plagues. If I were to uh, comment on every plague and the specific details, we would be here several hours. So I'm going to spare you that. What we're going to do is we're going to listen to God's Word, and then I'm going to come back and uh, apply the passage. We're going to see nine principles from those nine plagues. And so uh, the first uh, man who's supposed to come read, why don't you come on up and do that? I think Jay is the first one. So Jay, why don't you come read? And let's sit and listen to the Word of God together. Thanks. Okay, we'll start reading in chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, 
and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and onto your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But, but when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not, and the gnats were on men and animals. The magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Exodus, uh, Exodus 8:20-9:10. Then the Lord said to Moses, He said, "Get up early in the morning. Talk to Pharaoh as he goes down to the river. Say to him, The Lord says, Let my people go. Then they will be able to worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send large numbers of flies. I will send them on you and your officials. I will send them on your people and into your homes. The house." The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the area where they live will be full of flies. But on that day I will treat the area of Goshen differently from yours. This is where my people live. They were not, there will not be large numbers of flies in Goshen. Then you will know that I, 
the Lord am in this land. I will treat my people differently from yours. The miraculous sign will take place tomorrow. So the Lord did it. Huge number of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace. They came into the homes of his officials. All over Egypt, the flies destroyed the land. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron. He said to them, Go, offer sacrifices to your God here in the land. But Moses said, That wouldn't be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord our God wouldn't be accepted by the Egyptians because of their beliefs. Suppose we offered sacrifices they couldn't accept. Then they would throw stones at us and try to kill us. We have to take a journey that lasts about three days. We want to go into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God exactly as he commanded us. Pharaoh said, I will let you... I will let you and your people go to offer sacrifices. You can offer them to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far and pray for me. Moses replied, As soon as I leave, I will pray to the Lord. Tomorrow the flies will leave you. Then they will also leave your officials and your people. Just be sure you don't try to trick us again. Let the people go to to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. Not one fly remained, but Pharaoh's heart became stubborn that time also. He wouldn't let the people go. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, Go to Pharaoh, tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go. Then they will be able to worship me. Do not refuse to let them go. Do not keep holding them back. If you refuse, my powerful hand will bring a terrible plague on you. I will strike your livestock in the fields. I will strike your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. But I will treat Israel's livestock differently from yours. No animal that belongs to the people of Israel will die. The Lord set a time for the plague. He said, Tomorrow I will send it on the land. So the next day the Lord sent it. All of the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal that belonged to the Israelites died. Pharaoh sent people to find out what happened. They discovered that not even one animal that belonged to the Israelites had died, but his heart was still very stubborn. He wouldn't let the people go. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. He said, Take handfuls of ashes from a furnace. Have Moses toss them into the air in front of Pharaoh. The ashes will turn into fine dust all over the whole land of Egypt. Then boils will break out on people and animals all over the land. Their bodies will be covered with them. So Moses and Aaron took ashes from a furnace and stood in front of Pharaoh. Moses tossed them into the air. Then the boils broke out on people and animals alike. We continue with the plague of hail. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. 
But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You will set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that the hail will fall all over Egypt, on men and animals, and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst hailstorm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed, since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out to the, out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and the hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your house and those of all your officials 
and all the Egyptians, something neither your fathers nor your forefathers have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said, but just who will be going? Moses answered, We will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you, if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that what you, that's what you have been asking for. <clears throat> then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take these deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that darkness will spread all over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anything, anyone else, or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Thank you, guys.
So with the time that we have left, I'd like to do this. I'd like to bring out nine principles from the nine plagues. Now, it's not uh, one principle per plague or anything like that. It's kind of nine uh, observations, nine principles uh, from the overarching section uh, that we say here. And we'll work our way through these uh, quickly. Number one, God goes to great lengths to rescue his people from bondage. I think both the scope and the impact of the plagues that we see here are indicative of this truth. God goes to great lengths, great lengths, to rescue his people. And while God went to great lengths to rescue Israel from slavery in the land of Egypt, what we find out as we continue to read our Bible is that God went to infinitely greater lengths to set all of his people free from their bondage with sin, to self, to Satan, to death, and to the world. What we find out as we continue to read the story of the greater Exodus, as we read through the New Testament, is that God sent his eternally existent son only for him to be mistreated, spat on, beaten, bruised, murdered, and only to have our sins and God's wrath for our sins poured out upon him. And like Israel, we too must respond in faith. We need to realize that we need rescuing. We need to first realize that we too are in slavery We need to trust and receive Jesus personally as our Passover lamb, as we'll see next week, as our greater mediator between God and man. Have you done this today, friend? Have you received Jesus personally? Number one, God goes to great lengths to rescue his people. Principle number two, God punishes nations for their disobedience. And nations often suffer for the disobedience of their leader. I think we see this really clearly in the story of the Exodus. First of all, that God punishes nations for their disobedience. The plagues, I think, are a great example of this, that God punishes hostile nations who blatantly reject his authority and his word over them. And so as we begin to think about our nation that we live in, we have to ask questions like this. Is our nation increasingly disobedient to God's natural laws, on how to treat people? Are we increasingly disobedient to his revealed will in the Bible? And if the answer is yes, then we shouldn't be surprised if, like Egypt, God might bring judgment on our nation as well. And another sobering truth is what we find here is that nations often suffer for the disobedience of their leaders. It's hard for us here in America to hear that. And yet if God brings judgment on a nation for the, for the disobedience of their leader in a nation that was, uh, there was a king, if there was a dictator and God brought judgment on that nation where the people had no control over who was in leadership over them, how much more so might he do that in a democracy where you and I get to vote and we get to choose who we put in leadership over us? Number three, God may or may not protect his people from judgments that he will bring on a sinful nation. I think what we see here in the story of the plagues is is telling on both sides. First of all, Israel did have to endure. God's people did, the way I read it, have to endure some of the judgment that God was bringing on the nation that they lived in. They had to endure the first three plagues, and yet God graciously spared them from the last seven plagues. And the same might be true of us either way. We might suffer 
physically as Egypt did. We might suffer economically as Egypt did. We might even suffer loss of life as some in Egypt did. Or on the contrary, God might spare us all of that. Either way, we must, as the people of God, trust him and follow him. Number four, God graciously seeks to destroy our idols. As I said before, I think this is one of the biggest things that's going on in the story of the plagues is that God was systematically showing the people of Egypt and his own people that the deities, the the idols, the false gods that they as Egyptians had worshipped and the gods, just think about it, God's people, the nation of Israel, they had been around idol worship for 400 years. And so God was systematically showing them that they can't count on idols, that they can't trust in them, that they always fail, that they never deliver on what they promise in order to drive all of them, both Israel and Egypt, to himself, the one true God who alone can do all of the things that the false idols of the world, both then and now, offer. God graciously seeks to destroy our idols. And we've talked about our idols extensively, so I won't go into much more detail. But we have to ask, what are your idols? And how might God be taking the legs out from underneath them in your life to drive you back to him? Number five, God is the sovereign. God is the ultimate sovereign, not any man and not any nation. I think the story here of the plagues is utter proof that God alone and his will alone is sovereign. It's conclusive that no one ultimately can win against God's sovereignty or his will. And this should be very encouraging to us. Unlike many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we live in a nation where it's very easy to be a Christian. And we don't get much persecution by uh, our fellow man or, or by the government. And yet, certainly, I think we would probably agree, most of us, that the government is maybe increasingly hostile to faith as a whole and to Christians in particular. We see around the world there's a rise of terrorism against our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in the midst of that, we might be tempted to think that man or that a human government is is really in control. And what God is showing through the plagues is that that's not true. God is ultimately in control. Number six, God is merciful. God is merciful, not giving us what we deserve, but rather he gives us time to repent. I don't know if you caught it, but in chapter nine, verse 15, It says explicitly that, that God tells Pharaoh, I could have ended your nation at your very first sign of disobedience. I could have ended you right then and there, but I'm being merciful to you. I'm giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent, to repent. The New Testament tells us as much for you and I. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, that is, to bring Jesus back to the earth as judge. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here's, here's the truth of the matter. God could rightly send all of us to hell the moment we sin, and that would be just That would be just, but in his mercy, he waits. 
And he gives us days and breath and life to turn and to trust in Christ. Number seven, God wants all people to know him and to be saved by him and to follow him. I think this is something that's key as we see these plagues and they're difficult to hear and they're harsh. They're hard to endure. And yet, if you just look at the purpose statements attached to them, it's very clear that God was revealing himself as the one true God. He was squashing the idols of the nations. He wanted not just Israel to follow him. He wanted the nation of Egypt to know that he alone was God and that he could save them and that he could be and that they could be, become a part of the people of God and follow him too. And what's really interesting is when you read through the story of Exodus, guess what happened? Numerous Egyptians ended up going out of Egypt with Israel. They followed. Why do you think they did that? It's because they saw the plagues, and they saw that their idols were not true. They were not real. And so God wants all people to be saved, and to follow him. God wants you too to come to know him. He wants you too to be saved by Jesus in the greater exodus that he accomplished in his death and his burial and his resurrection, which we'll celebrate in a week or two. He wants you to follow him in the community of believers, just like he wanted the Egyptians. Number eight, don't make deals with God. Obey him. We see Pharaoh doing this three times. I don't know if you caught that in the story, but he does it three times. He makes a deal with God. Well, I'll let you go, but this, these are, he, he puts forth his circumstances, right? His conditions. And God says, I'm not going to barter with you, right? I'm not going to barter. Don't make deals with me. Just, just obey me. God wants us to, to do that. He wants us to simply say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. So don't make deals with God, obey him. What we find out with Pharaoh is that partial partial obedience is really complete disobedience. Partial obedience is really just complete disobedience. Number nine, the last principle. God goes to great lengths to strengthen the faith of his people. One of the plagues, I think it was number three, I'm not exactly sure which one it is, but number eight, excuse me. One of the plagues, and it's number eight, it's it's explicitly stated that the plagues were not only assigned to to Egypt, but they were assigned to Israel. They were assigned to Israel that, remember, that their sons and their daughters would have their faith strengthened in God. And so this is good news for you and I. God wants to strengthen our faith. Maybe our faith in him is weak at times, much like Israel's, and needing to be strengthened. How is God doing that in your life? Is he protecting or encouraging you in a difficult time? Is he giving you people to love or support you or even speak maybe hard truths to you? Whatever it is, don't be discouraged when your faith is weak. God pursues us and he pursues strengthening our faith even when it's weak. So this week we've seen nine plagues and we've seen nine principles. Next week, we're going to turn to the tenth and final plague, which is the plague of the Passover. Of course, in preparation and uh, anticipation of experiencing our own Passover Seder meal, which we'll have on Good Friday, April the 3rd. So if you haven't signed up, do it today. You've got one more week. 
It's going to be an excellent experience. So we'll see you next week as we experience the 10th plague, the Passover, God's gracious provision of a lamb and the blood of the lamb to cover us and save us from death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and for this lengthy yet significant section. We pray that you would work in all of our hearts to bring about obedience and faith, that we might know that you alone are God, that you would strike down the idols of our life, and that we would follow you wholeheartedly. You are good and merciful and gracious to us and the only God. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord, your Son, and we ask it in his name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. See you next week, guys.